Well, let's jump into the message this morning. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I issued a challenge uh, for... And many of you accepted that challenge uh, to share your faith with someone over the next two weeks. And so now today is two weeks later. And um, we had a couple people that sent in testimonies. Um, We had a few that that we shared in our staff meetings. And and maybe you took that challenge and you shared your faith with someone. And and you have a story to tell, but you didn't hit that send button. Uh, We want to give you the opportunity this morning. If if you have a story to tell, um, would you let Pastor Michael know at some point during uh, the message this morning? uh, He's going to share a a story, a testimony at the end. But if you would like to do that and take that step of faith, let him know. uh, And then we would love to hear that story at the end too. And we're just trusting that what you have to say is just awesome this morning. So uh, if you would like to do that, please do that today too. Um, We're talking about the book of Esther, and we've been in this series. This is the fifth week of this series and the final week. There's 10 chapters in the book of Esther. We've covered two chapters per week, which is a lot, by the way. So we've been moving very quickly through this incredible book, this incredible story, and I'm honestly very sick of recapping the entire story, but I'm going to do it again one more time because I know, I know that some of you have missed and, and we want you to know what's going on in the life of Esther and Mordecai and King Xerxes and Haman who, uh, spoiler alert, he's dead now. <laughs> but uh, we'll give you the update here. So Esther and Mordecai are Jews, they're cousins, they're living in Persia, and they're living secretly as Jews. Nobody knows that they, about their Jewish heritage. Um, they were descendants of exiles who were moved into the, the city of Babylon, and then a new empire came, and uh, the people of Israel were released back to their land, but not everybody left. And so there are lots of Jews still living in the, the Persian kingdom, in the city of Susa, where Esther and Mordecai live. And uh, while this is all happening, this King Xerxes, who's the most powerful king uh, of anyone to this point in history. He's king over all of the known world this time. Um, he's a very powerful guy, uh, has reigns over multiple provinces spanning from just a huge area of land down all, all over Asia and uh, Eastern Europe. And so uh, he's, he's this powerful man. He's this powerful king. And um, he gets drunk at this party. In fact, he spends most of the book of Esther drinking. That's just what this guy does. Uh, and so he gets drunk at this party, and he, he says, he tells his wife, hey, come out here, honey, and show everybody how pretty you are, and, and spin around, do a little twirl for us, so all my friends can see how gorgeous you are. Well, she has the audacity to say no to him. And so, like any logical person, he thought the best thing to do would be to kick her out of the palace, remove her as queen, and pick a new queen. And so he he sends her away, and actually it's several years later, and he realizes that that was probably a dumb choice. I'm missing my wife. I need to pick a new queen. And so his his, um, loyal minions get together, and they come up with this plan to basically put together the very first season of The Bachelor. And they bring in all the eligible women uh, from the kingdom. They get them together, and they each get one night with the king. And then when he decides he's found his queen, he picks her, and she becomes queen. Well, Esther enters this contest. I don't know if it was willingly or if she just had to do it, but um, she's part of this contest. Uh, she, she finds favor right away with the people that, uh, the king's servants, and then ultimately with the king himself, she becomes the new queen. Now, while this is going on, Mordecai actually uncovers a plot. He overhears some people talking about this plan to kill the king. And so he communicates that to Esther. Esther communicates communicates that to the king, saves the king's life, and it's written down in this book. Uh, And so now we come to Haman, the villain of the story. Haman is promoted to number two in the kingdom. Um, He's an important guy, but Mordecai does not like Haman. Now, a lot of that has to do with their heritage. It says that uh, Haman was an Agagite, and so the Agagites and the Israelites did not get along. They had a history, which we'll get into a little bit later today, uh, but they did not like each other. And so Mordecai disrespects him when everybody else is bowing down to this guy because they think he's 
He's important and, and wonderful. Mordecai says, no, I'm not going to do that. And so Haman, again, you know, with another logical decision, which is all the men are making just great decisions in this story, by the way. He decides that he's going to have not only this guy killed, but his entire race. And so there's 18 million Jews about at that time uh, that he wants to have killed on this specific day. And so he sends out a decree that says on the 13th day of this month, um, all of them are going to be massacred. And um, Mordecai says, that's a problem. He, he grieves, he repents, he, he mourns, he covers himself in sackcloth and ashes and, and mourns out in the street. And he gets a hold of Esther and tells her, you need to do something about this. You're in a position where you have access to the king. You need to do something about this. And Esther was very hesitant to get involved. She didn't want to um, approach the king because to do so would ultimately mean that she was risking her life. If the king extended her, his scepter to her, um, she would be permitted to ask something of him. But if he did not, she would be immediately executed. In fact, they believed that there was a guy standing behind the king with an axe. Okay, like that's how serious this was. So she's like, I'm not going to do that. And, and Mordecai said, listen, I believe God, that uh, the Jews are going to be spared one way or another. But maybe you were placed in the position you were in for such a time as this. And that's been the title of our series. And that's what we've been talking about, how we have a purpose in our life. And so Esther says, ultimately comes to this conclusion, whether I live or whether I die doesn't matter. I'm going to do this brave thing. I'm going to approach the king. And so she does so. She approaches the king and he asks her, what do you want? anything in my kingdom up to half of my kingdom. And Esther says, I just want you to come to a party. So he invites, she invites the, the king and Haman to this party. They spend the night together. The king's like, hey, listen, I know that's not all you want. What, what do you want? She says, okay, you're right. Let's come to another party tomorrow night. Let's do this again tomorrow night. I think she chickened out. That's my personal opinion. That's not in scripture, but uh, that's, that's my thought process. So she, he comes back the second night, says to her again, what do you want? Anything up to half of my kingdom you can have. And she says, I would prefer that all my people not die. The king was confused. He's like, what are you talking about? Uh, she said, well, there's this problem. See, I'm a Jew and all the Jews are supposed to die on the 13th day of the month. Oh, and by the way, Haman, my good buddy right here that's invited to this dinner, he's the one that orchestrated the whole thing. The king gets mad, walks out, storms out of the room, starts pacing around the garden. Esther's sitting on the couch. Haman realizes he's in big trouble here. Uh, in fact, there's more that has happened with him and Mordecai, and, and which we don't have time to get into. But he ends up um, like on the couch pleading for his life to Esther. The king comes back in the room, completely misinterprets the situation. Is like, what are you attacking my wife now? He's like, you're going to be executed. And then one of um, Xerxes followers, one of his eunuchs says, hey, I got an idea. Haman built gallows 75 feet tall for um, Mordecai, you know, Esther's cousin slash adopted father. And uh, maybe we should hang him on that instead. So that's what happens. Mordecai is, is impaled on this pole and hung on the 75 foot gallows. Yes, it's kind of a gruesome story. This is not a G-rated uh, book by any stretch of the imagination. So um, this is Kind of what we left off as Mordecai is actually placed in the position that Haman used to be in. And he's number two in the kingdom now. And he's like, listen, can, can we do something about this? Esther says, can we reverse what you've decreed? And the king says, listen, the law says we can't reverse anything that's been decreed. But hey, you've got my signet ring now, which is basically like power of attorney. It's authority to make decrees on the king's behalf. He's like, make a new law. So that's what they do. That's what, I mean, that's what all governments do, right? They just keep making new laws. And so they made a new law that said that the Jews, even though they were supposed to be killed and, and they could legally be attacked on this day, now they can defend themselves. 
And so it, we left off last week. Basically what happened is Mordecai rose to this position of prominence and power. And now everybody is seeing this, these two Jews, Esther and Mordecai, in this high position. And they're like, hey, I want to be a Jew, <laughs> right? And we actually had people converting to Judaism as a result of, of this story and, and his rise to power. And so we're going to pick it up here and hear what happens actually on the 13th day of the 12th month the month of Adar, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 9. We're going to read about the first half of chapter 9, or a little more than that, uh, today. And then there's, uh, there is a chapter 10. It's very short. just kind of talks about um, Mordecai and his success and fame. Um, but I'd encourage you to read it on your own, since we don't have time to cover the entire thing this morning. All right, verse 1, here's what it says. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. Now this is what I want to talk about this morning. How God takes a bad situation and turns it around and reverses it. It's just such an incredible, um, an incredible picture that he's giving us here. The reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. Now, here's the first thing I want you to understand from the story this morning. Our job is to repent. God's job is to reverse. As a believer, sometimes we, we walk into a situation and, and our first thought is, because this is how our minds work as human beings, how can I fix this? We see something that's broken and something that's wrong and we start planning out all the logical steps to take. And here, here's what I'm going to do and here's what you're going to do and we're going to fix this thing. And usually what happens when we try to do it that way is things get worse and worse and worse and we make a bigger mess out of the situation and we end up in a, in a more broken state as a result. But as we learn to trust God and as we learn to lean on him, we understand that the fixing part is his responsibility, not ours. Amen. And there is just a tremendous weight that's lifted when we understand that. Because it means that the pressure isn't on us. Our responsibility is to repent and to be faithful and to be obedient to what God has called us to do and let him work out the details. Now, in the broken world that we live in, not every situation works out perfectly. But I can tell you something I have seen in my life when God intervenes, how things can change in an instant. Things that we believed were impossible, God has turned around and done something incredible in, as a result. And we talked a little bit about Mordecai and how his act of repentance when he came to that place where he realized um, it, it, the error of his ways and how his arrogance had affected things, how that, began to, that act of repentance began to change the trajectory of his life. And how Esther, in the same way, how when she stopped being afraid and began to trust in God, how that act of obedience and repentance began to change the course of their life. And then we also had Haman and his story and how he refused to repent, even when his family saw exactly what was coming his way. Remember uh, two weeks ago, he came to his house and he had this whole thing with Mordecai where he actually, he was planning to have Mordecai executed. The king actually told him to put him on a horse and parade him around the city and tell everybody how great he was, <laughs> right? And he was very upset by that. He came home, went and talked to his wife, and his wife was very encouraging. She said, listen, I don't think this is going to work out for you, buddy. Something is working against you. So he, even in that moment of discouragement, if at that point he would have said, listen, I've messed up. I've approached this thing the wrong way. I need to repent of, of what I've done. We need to change our plans. We need to, to um, somehow reverse this decree that, that we put into place. Maybe if that would have happened, his life would have been spared. But as a result, everything comes tumbling down in this man's life. He loses everything and dies as a result. Now, I've seen this over and over and over again in my life, people who had the opportunity to repent and maybe they've had, you know, 
a moment where God has kind of got a hold of their heart and, and they've kind of repented for a while or changed for a little bit, but then as time goes on, they get kind of pulled back into that old pattern, that old way of life. And repentance doesn't mean just feeling sorry for your sins. It actually means that you have to turn from your sin. Uh, it means to change the way that you think. It means that this idea of, of turning away from what you used to do and, and choosing to follow God's direction instead. And when that process happens, it can be transformative. It can change everything about the course of your life. But if you refuse to walk down that path, this, the opposite can be true as well. It can lead to destruction. And not only for you, but for those around you as well. There are testimonies all across this room of the transformation, of the reversal that happens when people are willing to repent. In fact, I'm looking across the room right now. I know some of your stories. I know how God got a hold of your life and how generationally your life had been um, a disaster and how that act of repentance and how surrendering to God has changed the course of your life, not only for you, but for your family too. And we're seeing generations that are blessed because of what God has done in your life. That's the power of God's reversal. And it begins the repentance. Let's keep reading in verse 2. It says, The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them, for fear of them had fallen on all the peoples. All the officials in the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews. See how this is working out? For fear of Mordecai had fallen on them, for Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame had spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful, and the Jews struck all their enemies with the swords, killing and destroying them as they pleased to those who hated them. This is a real kind, warm, fuzzy story, right? Uh, in Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. And also in... Parshanaya, yeah, right. Parshandatha and Delphon and Aspatha and Paratha and Adalia and Eridatha and Parmashta and Erisai and Eridai and Val, yeah, you know. So, <laughs> verse 10 the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamaditha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plunder. Okay. So here's what's happening here. This is really important. That line, they laid no hand on the plunder, um, is significant. It's indicating something historically. Um, now, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but Haman's ancestor was the king Agag. It says that he was Haman the Agagite. So he was descended from this uh, royal lineage, this king Agag. And he came up in the book of uh, 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel chapter 15. And in this story, Saul and the people of Israel defeated the Amalekites and their army and King Agag and captured him. And God's command to, to them at that time was, was to execute King Agag and the other Amalekites. And Saul was disobedient. And when Samuel came and confronted him about it, he said, well, listen, like, they have a lot of stuff. And so I thought it would be better if we just took their stuff. And my plan all along was to give it as an offering to the Lord. Yeah, right. Okay. First of all, that's not true. But second of all, here's what Samuel's response was on behalf of God. This is what he said. The Lord prefers obedience to sacrifice. So whether or not that's true, whether you were going to offer that or not, God would rather that you obey him rather than take their stuff as a result. Now here's the reality. Haman should have never existed. He should have never been born. He, his life was a result of Saul's disobedience. Some of you are like, oh, that's just, this doesn't seem very Christian, like this whole idea of slaughtering people. Um, 
but that's the reality. And listen, we're not going to sugarcoat what the Bible says. Like this, this is what happened. God told them to do it. And, and I don't know why he told them to do it that way. And I don't, I don't understand that maybe fully, but, but this is what scripture tells us. And so I believe that as a response to that event that everybody would be aware of, that these Jews would be aware of, they intentionally said, we're not going to take any of their stuff. We're not going to plunder them. We're not going to steal stuff from their families. If they're, if they're attacking us, we're going to defend ourselves and we're going to fight back, but we're not going to take their stuff. This was a, a response of obedience to an act of previous disobedience by King Saul and his army. So God's people are saying, this time we're not going to make the same mistake. You know, here's the second thing I want us to learn this morning. When you choose to be unrepentant, the consequences follow those around you too. Look at what happened with Haman and his family. It says that Haman had 10 sons. Some of you are like, wow, that's a lot of sons. <laughs> like that is, that is more than I could handle. But 10 sons, talk about an incredible lineage that that could have been. But because Haman continued to be disobedient to the Lord, he continued to fight against God's plan. Uh, he continued to be unrepentant. Now, as a result, when these boys saw their father executed in their backyard, essentially, they responded, the sons responded by saying, listen, we're not going to give up on dad's dream. We're going to carry out this plan. How stupid, how wasteful, how sorry this ending is to this story. And so they led the charge against the Israelites. They were killed. And this entire family was lost as a result of that unrepentance. Listen, when you make choices that uh, affect you in that way, when you're unrepentant in that way, not only does it affect the outcome of your life, but your family as well and the people around you. Our actions have consequences. The way that we live our lives, it matters in the grand scheme of things and it affects the people around us. And listen, for those of us who are parents, your kids are watching you. They're watching the decisions you make. They're watching to see what's important to you. They're watching to see what you value. They're watching to see the priorities that you place in life. They're watching to see how you treat other people. They're watching to see if you're honest or if you're dishonest. All of those things matter. And it doesn't mean that you have to live a perfect life and, and be an absolute uh, perfect person or your kids are going to get messed up. It means that you have to be honest about the moments where you have failures and mistakes and come with a repentant heart and acknowledge your sinfulness and say, listen, guys, I'm a sinner like you. I need God's help. And if we approach life with that attitude and we humbly try to honor the Lord with our lives, the result can be a generational transformation. But if we choose to do things our own way, we choose to walk in unrepentance, the consequences will follow us for generations to come. Verse 11. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa in the citadel was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and also the 10 sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It will be granted to you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow to do also according to the king's edict. And let the sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. All right, they're already dead. All right. <laughs> I mean, this is... This is something else here. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa. And the ten sons of Haman were hanged. And the Jews were in Susa, gathered on the 14th day of the month of Adar. And they killed 300 men in Susa. But they laid no hands to the plunder. Now this is, this is where the story, I think, gets really dark. Because I mean, in the previous chapter, we were or the previous part that we just read, we're talking about self-defense. We're talking about people defending themselves. 
And now the queen approaches the king and says, listen, we need one more day for the killing. Now, there's a lot of debate among scholars as to like whether this is a godly request or not, whether this is right or whether this is wrong, whether this is Esther just wanting vengeance on Haman and his family, or whether this is a righteous request that's honoring to the Lord. You know, um, the Bible isn't quite so clear sometimes. In fact, it, it tells us what happened in this story, but it doesn't say that all the angels in heaven rejoiced at the wonderful choices that Esther had made. I mean, maybe, maybe she's wrong here. Maybe she's getting carried away. Maybe she's going too far. I heard one pastor say it this way, all scripture is equally inspired, but not all equally easy to interpret. Right? There are some things that are very cut and dry. I, you know, I like just simple, like reading the Apostle Paul's writings. Like he just, he just tells you what to do. And if you're not listening, he just calls you stupid. I mean, that's, that's just the way that he kind of operates. Other parts of scripture, we have to sit and reflect and read and try to understand what God would have for us. Um, listen, I don't think that the solution to our world's problems today is to kill anyone who's immoral and to have mass executions across the country. I don't think that would be beneficial. I don't think that's God honoring. Um, and, and I don't know if what was happening in this instance um, was God honoring either. But I know that God was part of it and then he protected his people through that process whether it was done in the right way all of the time or not goes on to give all the stats of everyone who died 75,000 in all now what I find fascinating is not that 75,000 people were killed it's that 75,000 people would risk their lives to go after the Jews in this instance knowing the power that that uh, Mordecai had in that moment. Let's jump ahead to verse 19. It says, Therefore the Jews of the villages who live in rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month and the 15th of the same year by year. As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, as the month had been turned for them from the sorrow to gladness, from mourning into a holiday, and they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days of sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor, so the Jews accepted them, or accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. This feast is known as the Feast of Purim. And it's something that to this day that, that Jewish people celebrate, that it was God's protection over their lives, that he, he prevented this attempt to end um, the, the Jewish race. Now, um, I think there's a, a reminder here for us too. I think there's something that we could learn. And this is the last thing that I want us to get from this passage. And that's to remember the transformational moments in your life where God reversed something for you, where he changed something in your life. Now, I realized as I was writing this message that I'm terrible at this. Like, I, I know there are so many moments in my life where God has done something remarkable and transformational, where he's intervened in some incredible way. And you know what? I, I don't write it down. I don't remember it. I don't talk about it. I, you know, I just move on with my life. And then something will remind me of that moment at some point. I'm like, this is something that, that I need to be better at. And I think we all could benefit from keeping track of those incredible stories of God's provision in our lives, of celebrating those moments. Maybe it's a spiritual birthday. Like maybe you remember the day that, that you gave your heart to the Lord and every year you circle that on the calendar and say, hey, listen, I was born on such and such a day, but this is my spiritual birthday. This is the day that I gave my heart to Christ. Celebrate those moments. Um, maybe it's the process of talking about it with your family. Listen, I want to tell the stories of God's faithfulness to my kids. 
I want them to hear of how God protected me and blessed me and provided for me, how he, how he helped me when I was struggling, how he corrected me when I was dealing with something that was, that was off in my life. I want my kids to hear those stories and to be able to pass them on for generations to come. Some of the, uh, one of the coolest things, uh, my, my uh, great-grandpa, uh, who's a, uh, I view as kind of the, the first Christian in the line of our family, um, he, reading his story, and uh, like he, we, my uncle had, uh, for a, a project, had sat down with him and recorded his testimony and his story of, of how he came as an immigrant from Italy and how he found uh, a relationship with Christ. And, and man, it was just so encouraging to me to hear that story of faith. I'm like, I want my kids to hear those stories from me as well. Um, you know, another thing that they did here is that they actually commemorated uh, this, this incredible intervention of God with acts of service. It says that they gave gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. What an incredible way to remember something that God has done in your life by serving others. So maybe you plan something with your family. You say, hey, today we're going to remember what God did by us, and we're going to do that by serving someone else. How cool would that be? Um, write them down. Uh, I'm, again, terrible at this, but I have a few journals that I've written things, and I've written notes to my kids, and uh, I want to write down the stories of God's faithfulness and his provision in my life. I want them to be able to um, look at that as a resource someday and, and hear those stories and then share them with others too. What a great opportunity. You know, we've been, I, I mentioned we've challenged people to share their faith or to talk about um, God with somebody uh, sometime this week. And uh, listen, what, a, what, a, what an incredible way to do that than to share a testimony of how God has done something for you. I had a professor at North Central. In fact, uh, a few years ago, he came and preached here. His name is Dr. Watson. Some of you maybe remember uh, when he came here. Um, he, he does something that is so cool. Uh, he has a, like a big jar, uh, like an oversized mason jar. And in that jar, there are a bunch of different objects. Like there's a set of car keys and just, just random different things. And what he'll do is he'll set that jar out and he'll say, pick something out of that jar. And so one of the students will come up and pick something out of that jar and hand it to him and say, oh yeah, this. And then he'll proceed, and he's an amazing storyteller, but he'll proceed to tell the story of how God's faithfulness showed up and how this object represents something that happened in his life, a testimony of something that God has done. Wow. How powerful is that? Like, I want, I want to tell the stories of how God was faithful to me. I want to celebrate those moments of how God took my brokenness and because of a cho choice to repent, he provided the reversal. He turned it around. He gave me hope as a result. We should all have those stories. If you don't, listen, then I think you're probably just missing it because that's who God is. That's what he does. And if we're faithful and we're obedient, he always shows up. He always shows up. Maybe we don't recognize it. Maybe we don't acknowledge it sometimes, but it's always true. Now, uh, I want to share a, a, a few stories with you. And I want to share some testimonies this morning of the, those who stepped out and shared their faith. And, and I'll share mine first. Um, I have a friend that I've been praying for for a long time. Uh, in fact, at the beginning of the year, uh, we get together and we pray for people who uh, don't know Christ. And um, he's a name that I've written down for the last three years. And I, I just decided that I, was, I wanted to have a conversation with him. So I just started asking him some really blunt questions about his faith and about what he believed. And, uh, and engaged in a really, really helpful, really positive conversation. One of the things um, that I asked him... Um, was, well, first of all, do you believe in God? And, and he said, yeah, I believe that there is a God. 
but I, he's kind of an agnostic. He doesn't really believe that, that God interacts with people at all. And uh, I, I asked him a question. I'm like, if, if somebody invited you to church, what would you say? And would there be anything that would make you more or less likely to come? He said, I, I, I think I'd say no. And uh, he said, you know, I, I just wouldn't feel comfortable coming knowing that people are coming to worship a God that, that I don't really worship. And that was a little discouraging. <laughs> and <laughs> But it was a reminder to me, there are a lot of people out there that are never going to go to church, right? I, I mean, unless God does something and intervenes in their life, their only hope are the believers in their life that have the truth of the gospel in their heart and are willing to share it. And that takes boldness. And so I know that, that my friend, he's probably not going to ever come to church. In fact, he did mention to me that one time he, uh, I had shared our church's live stream and, and he turned it on for a second and um, was very surprised to hear me talking about Tom Brady. I was using him as an illustration. He's a big Tom Brady fan. I don't even like Tom Brady. <laughs> He's, this, this is how blunt my friend is. He's like, yeah, I was listening. You were talking about Tom Brady. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then you started talking about Jesus, so I just shut it off. <laughs> Listen, this is the reality. Like, the world isn't coming to church. But we're in the world. And the hope of Christ is in us. So we need to own it. And just like God used Esther and Mordecai to spread his fame and his glory throughout this kingdom of Persia, God can use people like us to make an impact in our world. Uh, my wife was, was sharing with us in, in staff meeting that she's been uh, she had a really fun conversation with one of my daughter's friends. Um, there's a, a girl that uh, her mom's a single mom, and so she's working a lot of times during our soccer games, and so we've been giving her rides. And she lives down in St. Bonnie, so it's a little bit out of the way and uh, a little bit of extra driving, but it's just been great to, to get to know her and uh, just, just to share the love of Christ with her. And, and uh, she had a conversation with her and asked her, hey, like, do you go to church? And she said, no, the only time I went to church was the one time that I came with you on the, you know, before our soccer game last year at a tournament. And it's just opening our perspective to more and more people that need to know Christ. Um, one of the testimonies that was texted in, uh, this was from Trisha. She decided to do the challenge with her kids, which I love, by the way. That's so cool. She said, the boys, Hans and Finn, were nervous about it, but Miko will talk somebody's ear off all day. Uh, each picked a random kiddo at the park and throughout the week uh, decided to say one thing to them about God. They ended up just telling them, God loves you, and then running away. <laughs> I love that. Hit them and get, away, get out of there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she also wrote, I work farmers markets and shared with people the story of why God put me in this position to be making health products for people and my calling. It amazes, it was amazing how that led people to share their stories and their faith about why they are in life and great conversations were had. We love this challenge. Isn't that awesome? Listen, God can use you in any circumstance, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you're doing um, if you're willing and, and open to let God use you and, and you're thinking about it, sometimes it takes a little bit of a conscious effort to say, hey, God, I'm looking for this opportunity. Would you open a door? Um, God can do that in such an incredible way. Uh, I'm going to ask Pastor Michael to come and share his story. All right, before I share, after this, we're going we're gonna to give you the opportunity to share. Maybe you didn't message in Pastor Paul or whatever but maybe you've got a story and we need to hear each other's testimonies. Our testimonies are powerful um, because they encourage us. Um, they, they give us boldness and courage for, for our, um, in our own life. And uh, so we need to hear from, from everybody. We don't, it's awesome to hear the few stories that Pastor Paul shared and it'll be awesome to hear my story, but we need to hear from you guys. Um, and so we're gonna give you the opportunity to, to do that here after, after I speak here. But, um, not just testimonies of success, 
Maybe you've got a testimony that includes some failure. We need to hear that too because we need to hear that there's other people failing out there and it's not just me. And so when somebody gets up and, and talks about how they, they attempted to share the gospel and they totally blew it, it's like, man, that gives me a lot of grace to do the same. <laughs> so not just testimonies of success, but testimonies of, of your failure as well. And maybe it's just, uh, man, I had the opportunity to encourage my neighbor or uh, pray for somebody. Just a one-sentence thing. I think we, I'd love to hear from a, a few of you here this morning. But uh, in the last uh, month or two, my work uh, has shifted a little bit. And uh, I've been working with, uh, with AJ's company, um, installing water softeners and, and doing service of water softeners and things like that. And so I've been in and out of people's homes. And uh, when I started that, I just was kind of thinking, man, I'm going to be seeing a lot of different people on a day-to-day basis. And uh, what, what does it look like to go into somebody's house and, and be a blessing to them? Um, because I don't, I don't really want to uh, spend my life just making money and, and getting in, getting out. But what does it look like for me to go in and you know, install somebody's water softener or fix it or whatever and, and bless them along the way. So um, that's just kind of where I've been, been coming in as I've been going to these, these houses and whatnot. And sometimes you go into somebody's house and they're like all business. You know, they don't have time. They're, they're working in their home office and they're like on a call and they just muted it to let you in the door. And there's not an opportunity to really speak to this person, but to, you know, just, just pray in their house and, and just to lift them up. That's, that's a way that I can, can bless them while I'm there. Uh, some people are super chatty, like maybe too chatty. And you're like, I gotta go. Like I got another call here and this is not going anywhere, but I love hearing about your dog. Like, yeah. And uh, so just what does it look like to go in and bless somebody, bless their house, bless their family? Uh, because we, we live in a world where you can either bless people or you can curse people. And uh, the Bible says that life and death is, is found in our tongue. And so the words that we speak, the way that we interact with people is, is, is very powerful. And so um, I was in a house last, last week. And... Uh, what AJ and I do is we do the installation and the service of the water softeners. There's other guys who deliver the water softener salt. That's not something that I'm interested in doing. I've done it before. It's really hard work. I, just, I don't like doing it. But <laughs> every once in a while, they throw a, a little salt delivery in, in the back of your truck, and you're like, all right, fine. Uh, <laughs> last week, last Thursday, um, I had one of those. And I was in between calls, and they called me and said, hey, we need you to, to deliver some salt. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't want to do that. Uh, and it was 10 bags of salt, like not that much. But I'm just like, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, um, and even in the back of my head, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of above this. Like, we got, we got guys to deliver this stuff, just do the grunt work. Like, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I'm supposed to be installing these and fixing them. Like, we got, we got other minions for that. Not me. Not me. And uh, so I finished my other couple calls in the morning, and I'm driving to this place to deliver salt, having that thought and that conversation in my head. You ever had a day like that where you're doing something, you're like... I should not be doing this, but here I am, and you're just, ugh, about it. <laughs> As I'm driving to this house, and back into the driveway, and get a couple bags up to the door, and knock on the door, and a lady comes and answers, the answers and it uh, turned out she was a caretaker for the, the homeowner, and uh, he, he had Parkinson's disease, and... Um, as I entered the home, that conversation stopped in my head, and I just went, okay, I feel like there's maybe an opportunity here, here to... to this be more than just a salt delivery. And uh, as Pastor Paul has been talking the last few weeks, for such a time as this, you know, is we got guys to deliver salt, right? But none of them know Jesus, and this guy needs, this guy needs something today. And so for such a time as this, I'll, I can do this, you know. This is not a big deal, and, and I'll do whatever God calls me to do, you know. Um, if that's where he wants to use me. And so I'm just going in, and the guy was super excited about showing me down to his basement, and, and he was uh, very unstable in his movements, and uh, his, he really couldn't speak, but he was just, like, lit up that there was somebody in his house. And he shows me down to his basement and where to put it, and where he's kind of trying to talk to me, and, and it's not really working out. And, and as I'm hauling these bags up and down, I'm just kind of thinking, okay, God, what do you want to do, do here? What do you want to sow into this guy's life? What does it look like to bless um, Alan this, this morning? 
And um, I just wrapped it up, and I, he was sitting out on his porch getting ready to have lunch, and I just walked out, and I s said, hey, Alan, thanks for letting me come in and, and serve you in your home today, and, and uh, thanks for the business, and just kind of trying to have a little bit of conversation, and he gets up out of his chair, and big smile on his face, and you could tell, coming out of COVID, a guy who's got health issues, probably been locked up in his house for the last couple years, nobody coming to see him, and uh, so he's just excited that there's somebody there, and, and I just, I asked him if I could pray for him. And, and he said yes, and, and it just had the opportunity to pray over him and to speak uh, the love of Jesus into his life, tell him that uh, God loves us and he, and he has a value on our life, whether we're young or we're old, uh, whether we're, we're healthy or we're, or we're sick. Like, God values every single person, and, and just being able to speak this over Alan um, and to pray with him was, I, I was so blessed after that. I left that call and I was like, you dumb dumb, like why do you just do what do what is on your plate for the day and look for God to show up in it. And like that is that's what we're called to do. And so Alan was just he couldn't really couldn't really talk a whole lot, but he just was alive after that. He was lit up. And that's that's what we get to do. And and it was a big perspective shift for me that we're not just out here trying to convert people. You know, because over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking, okay, where's my opportunity to like share the gospel, like like the complete story to someone too? And it's just like, man, we're 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 out here to bless people. You know, we're out here to to meet people where they're at, and sometimes that involves speaking the gospel message to people, and sometimes that involves simply a smile to somebody who's like way too busy for you, and to just be a cordial, nice person. Uh, that might be what it looked like to bless that person that day, but other people, God's got the door wide open and you're called to step into it and, and pray for them and share, share his love with them. And so um, that's, that's what we're called to do as believers. That is our job. And it's not every single one of us in here have some sort of task that, we're, that we have each day, whether it's to go to work or to take care of our family or to run errands around town, whatever it might be. That's not the number one thing. Like, the, our number one thing is to bless people and to be ambassadors of Christ. And uh, we go into in and out of these million-dollar homes. We were in one last week on Lake Minnetonka, huge, huge place. And there's two pictures of kids from probably the 70s or the 80s. And there's probably just two people living in this 15,000-square-foot mansion. And I just walk into these places, and I go... I don't want to work my whole life for something like this. Like, I want to work my life, spend my life working for that mansion in heaven. And that is what we're going to, that, that's what we are doing as we choose to say, all right, here's what I got to do today. Where is God going to show up in that? And how does he want to use me in that today? To bless people, to speak the gospel message to them, to pray for them, to just be a, a good friend to people. So that's a little bit of my story from the last week, and I thank Pastor Paul for challenging us um, as a staff and as a church to really step into this, because this is what we're called to do. This is what we're here for, guys. So does anybody have something else that they want to share? Pamela. If I don't do it now, I won't do it. So um, this is a story about my family. Um, I try very hard to speak the gospel everywhere I go or bless people everywhere I go, but Three weeks ago was my great-grandson's third birthday. And my family, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, are influenced by Wiccan and witches. And at this birthday party, I had prayed up, and I had been listening to some good worship music, and I knew that the one gal was going to be there. And so I was, like, ready for anything that was going to happen. And I walk in, and she hadn't gotten there yet, and... Um, about a half an hour later, she got there, and I walked up, and I said, hi, how are you doing? And she proceeds to, um, she's pregnant, and I didn't know that, and she was talking about how she hadn't slept the night before because the baby was kicking. And I walked over, and I put my arms around her, and I, I said, well, let's pray for you right now and pray for that baby. And she says, oh, yeah, and then my husband's snoring, and I said, well, let's just pray that that baby sleeps very well for you tonight with no kicking and that you... Your husband goes and sleeps on the couch, so then you can go get a good night's sleep. And I said, and I pray all of this in Jesus' name. And I was expecting some kind of a reaction from her, but there wasn't one. 
But as the day went on, everybody was drinking and swearing, and she was doing drinking and everything along with everybody else. And then they started getting into a fight over politics, my son-in-law and his two kids. I wanted to get in there so bad <laughs> and show them where they were wrong, which of course was not the right thing to do because they were all drinking. And the Lord just told me to sit and just keep praying in the spirit and keep smiling because I was that best example by doing that rather than opening up my mouth. So step into those places, even if they're difficult. Um, I had to go back two weeks later and I had another encounter and she was there and I did the same thing. I just threw my arms around her and prayed for her and for the baby. Nothing happened, she didn't change, but at least I showed God's hands and feet by doing what I was doing. So good. It's a good party, alcohol and politics. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Anybody else? Quick testimony, come on up. Crazy times we live in, right? <laughs> Alcohol and parties, lots of chaos. As, as these testimonies were shared, I, I thought about a missionary that I heard about 40 years ago. Very profound wisdom. She said, put in a good word for Jesus every day. When Pastor Paul was speaking, I thought about a baseball analogy. We think about grand slams, right? Oh, I'm going to hit the ball. It, Everybody's going to get saved or a home run, even a home run. How about a base hit, just a bunt that knocks somebody home, right? How about if we just get up to the plate, swing, do our best, put in a good word for Jesus, put in a, speak a word of life. I, we were with some uh, teenagers last weekend working with them, and one said, I'm going into psychology. I said, wow, what? So what do you think about that? And just asked her questions further about that. And she's so excited about psychology. And I said, you know, psychology is really good, but does it go deep enough? It's good at finding problems and bringing them out, but where do you, put, where do you find forgiveness in that? Because the world's real big on psychology, right? Trying to figure out everything that's wrong, but until you apply forgiveness to it, all you have is just all your problems, right? So I value that encounter that was putting a good word of truth in, a good word of, of something she could think about, wisdom. So um, that's my story. Thanks. Anybody else? A quick testimony of somebody you've shared with, an opportunity you've had? Yeah, come on up. You go first and he'll go next. All right, thanks. Okay, mine is short and kind of the dead one, you know. <laughs> His neighbors walk by, and he said something. I was planting some stuff, and he goes, oh, well, you missed a spot there or something, you know? And I'm like, okay, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, I, and I know who he is, so I talked to him a little bit, and then I just said, oh, yeah. Well, you know, um, I think I invited him to the service that we're going to have. Then he goes, well, I don't go to church. <laughs> so I go, okay. And then I said, well... Uh, God loves you? And he goes, well, my dog loves me. And I thought, I was just kind of stunned at that one. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm going, okay. I said, well, and then I go, well, my dog loves me too. My husband loves me and my kids love me too. That's all different, but God loves me more. And he wants you to go to heaven. He goes, oh, well, that probably doesn't exist. And I said, well, you don't, you know, he goes, I don't care if I go to hell. And I said, well, you don't want to go there. And, and he's just like, eh, I just don't believe like that. And so, and then he goes, walks on by with his dog. And I'm just like, okay. Well, Lord, I, at least I said something. <laughs> so good. I think there's a country song, Nobody Loves Me Like My Dog Does. Okay, so I got a quick testimony. Um, so last summer, I, I bought a house in Watertown, and it's a uh, fixer-upper, and I have it torn apart uh, right now. And um, over maybe for the last, actually right when I moved in, the neighbor kid came over. He's, he's 28, and he talked my ear off for a couple hours, and um, he just came over and talked. 
and we started having breakfast. Like every two weeks, we'll go down to R&Bs in Watertown, and personally, I don't care for it. <laughs> uh, Edie Mays is way better, right, AJ? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I said yes, and we did this fun thing where like, you know, he'll pay one time and then I'll pay the next time and kind of have this running tally and just building friendship. And if anybody knows me, I am opinionated and I like to talk and, um, and yeah. And so, you know, we talk about things that are going on in the world and, and uh, he's had, shared about his health and heart attacks and, um, and it's, given us much to talk about. Well, two weeks ago, he's like, hey, do you wanna go to breakfast? And I was like, yeah, okay. So we went down and had breakfast, and then he was like, you wanna have a barbecue today? And I was like, yeah. So we basically spent like six hours together that Saturday, and throughout that, throughout that um, time, he's talking about his past and his life and his family history and he likes to talk and I like to talk, but what I, and I, and I, ha, I am opinionated, um, but I've been reading this book called Tactics and it's really good and he just talks about using questions. And so I felt two weeks ago, I was like, this is why I moved to Watertown. This is why I live in this house in my hometown. Um, it's for Anthony and it's for Rachel. And I asked him questions and you know, he shared everything that he believes in. And it's pretty wacky, in my opinion. <laughs> but I said, you know, you gotta, you can come to church. Like, I've invited him to church, and he, you know, maybe someday. But that opportunity of just having breakfast and eating food that I don't really care for, but being there for him, he told me what he believes. And I got to kind of interject and add some seeds and who knows where it's gonna go? Like the reverse is, is in motion, um, but just, I just be obedient. And so God told me, this is why you're here in Watertown and God's gonna do it, so. Yeah. That's so good. Cindy, did you have one? All right, you're our last one. Yeah, yeah, we know, we know. She's gonna be quick, guys, okay? She's gonna be quick. No quick. She's gonna be, she, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that um, you all missed that. I love my job. You haven't heard that in a little while. <laughs> I still love my job. <laughs> and for reasons like this, oh, let me say, I did do the challenge, but I failed to be able to really share like, and, and bring, you know, bring someone to Jesus or what, but in my daily life, I don't fail in that. Um, um, so Monday we start our new routes and I like to let my people know that I pick up every day that when the comes to the end, like the last week, um, that they won't have me the next week, you know, I'm like, Oh, we love you, you know? And then the one lady, so in the 673, um, I was telling her, she's like, Oh, we're going to miss you. She's like, actually, I'm actually intentional. Not that I want to stay at work longer. But I'm intentional about catching the bus at 406 so I can have you as my driver. And I mean, it's just the kindness and just caring about people and that they see it without me even saying, you know, and the light is there. I don't get to share, you know, quite like that. So I feel like that's one. And then on the second route that same day, or, or every day, I do two routes. And the lady was like, oh, like she didn't want to lose me, like too, you know, she's like, and so um, she know it's my last day, Friday, and um, she's like, well, we're, when she got off the bus, she had an envelope in her hand, and she, um, she's like, well, I'm really going to miss you, and um, I mean, so here's just a little something, she's like, you've been the best driver I've ever had, and she's rode for a really long time. And she's like, you're, you're really nice to everybody, and I know you care, I know you care about these people. Like, and so I just feel like they see, they see it uh, without me saying too much, but, um, and that's one reason I'm glad that I, that's one reason I got the job, 
is to be able to do that, is to show, um, you know, and it's 100% it's more that I love it. So, yeah, thank you. So, so good. Thank you, Cindy. If you had a testimony to share and you didn't get to share it this morning, I'd encourage you to just find somebody to share it with them. Uh, after service here. Uh, we could probably be here for quite a bit longer sharing testimonies. But hey, the challenge that Pastor Paul issued two weeks ago is not done today. Uh, this is a lifelong challenge actually from Jesus, the OG. Uh, Pastor Paul just gave us a little extra challenge. But uh, we want to keep this thing going. We want to be a church that is activated and, and, and moving, not just showing up on Sundays and, and having a personal relationship with Jesus, but actually inviting other people into that. So I love that Pastor Paul has, has done this for us and uh, kind of a little kick in the pants to, to get back up to where I know I've needed that in my life. So we're going to keep this thing going over the next uh, month. Uh, keep being aware of opportunities um, to share. Keep on this challenge, um, looking for ways to be a blessing, to um, bless people and, and to be a light and to look for those opportunities to directly share the gospel, have a Jesus conversation with people. And uh, we'll have an opportunity at the next worship night, uh, July 1st, to share some more testimonies. And so uh, be sure to come to that. And uh, so I'm just going to close this up in prayer and, and uh, wrap this thing up. So God, we just thank you uh, for this amazing service, this opportunity for the, the word that Pastor Paul brought to us this morning. May it uh, dwell in our hearts and, and bring change, God. And, and um, we just thank you for your word that it is powerful and it, is, it changes our life. So, God, we, we just thank you for the testimonies that were shared this morning. I just pray that we are in, we're, we're encouraged and blessed and, and um, given boldness and courage to continue to share, God, for the, for the successful attempts and the kind of duds, God, that we're not responsible for the outcome. We're just responsible for opening our mouth and, and being in, in the place that you've called to us to be for such a time as this. So um, we just... Uh, Thank you for the promise that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we will receive power to be your witnesses. And the Holy Spirit has come upon us, so we have the power to be your witnesses, God. It's not just us fumbling over our words. Our words become empowered by your Holy Spirit. Our interactions become empowered by your Holy Spirit. Our bus route, our job that we have becomes a place of empowerment by your Spirit, that we're not just a bus driver, we're not just uh, a co-worker, we are an ambassador of Christ in those places. And so God, uh, we just set our eyes on the mission of, of sharing your gospel across the world to everybody that we meet. And uh, so may we be a church that is true to your word in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.